Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever you lovely lot are listening to this. Welcome to 11 Pieces of Me. The show where guests come on if they can trip down memory lane with some of their favourite players. It's not always about the best players, as you'll soon see, but players who mean something to them and have special memories throughout the childhood. I'm your host, Ali, and my tag team partner for this show is Mr. Dave Black. Dave, how are we? Oh, I'm fantastic. Thank you I'm very much for coming back and enjoying me. I was very quickly trying to think of a New Age Outlaws type intro we could have done there when you said tag team partners, but I was, I was sadly found wanting. We can work on that for the next time. Well, D-O-double-G <laughs> and quick getting rowdy. <laughs> I feel that's a better tag team than the Outlaws now that you mentioned that. <laughs> and joining us tonight as our guest, we have the, the Twitter famous, it seems, everybody seems to know this fella, uh, Andrew Chapman of King of the Roots on, on Twitter. How are we, sir? Very well, very well. Well, um, break the fourth wall a little, and this is our second time recording this uh, for me and Andrew. Last time was with the boss, Ross, um, but he messed up the recording. So, uh, take two, Dave, Dave here, and um, two recordings here, so hopefully this one will go much, much better. So, I'm going to pretend I don't know the team. Dave doesn't know the team. I'm not even sure if I know the team, to be honest. <laughs> I hope not, because I don't want to write it down again. <laughs> for anyone new listening, as always, the rules are... The, the guest gets to pick any formation they like, any 11 players, as long as they are retired, and pick a captain at the end, obviously. So, Andrew, what formation have you gone with? God, I think, to be honest, uh, I've been a bit cheeky and I've gone, we're, we're going we're gonna to debate some of these positions, but I've gone with um, gone with a, a, a 3-4-3, purely to uh, sneak in a couple of the right players, nothing, is it? Um, but I think we'll we'll have a debate over whether some of those are, are genuinely, uh, I think one of them would be whether they're genuinely a forward or not. Yeah, like it doesn't matter, it's made up, you play it how you like. Um, and, for, and, and for those who, who probably, who know me, yes, I, I have picked a keeper as well. <laughs> <laughs> That's a surprise, I was expecting Phil Neville, expecting Phil Neville to have the gloves. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not sure what I'm missing with that one, so I'm going to, I'll skip over it. Um, start us with your Yeah, so I think this is a, a fairly obvious one, but I've gone with Oliver Kahn, which is actually quite timely considering he's my keeper in the, um, the Champions League manager uh, that has just kicked off. Um, but I think picks-wise, obviously, he's the only keeper to win the World Cup Golden Ball, so how can you how can you overlook a guy like that? Yeah, well, that's, well, that's pretty fair, isn't it? He... Uh... I don't know. He's, um, I think he's probably not given the credit he deserves in this country because he's German. But fundamentally, like he, he's he's one of the best keepers of kind of our era, isn't he? Like he. Uh, I mean, goal. to make to make over six hundred appearances for Bayern, you know what I mean? That's, yeah. Yeah, that's a, a a pretty good return to, and a pretty good indication that you're a decent keeper to play that many games for a for a club like that. And and obviously, you know, yeah, didn't get uh, lobbed like certain other goalkeepers who played at the same World Cup. But, uh, he won that. Uh, <laughs> Golden ball that we'll, we'll not mention the names Seaman and Schmeichel. <laughs> <laughs> um, from, from, that, from that tournament where he won the Golden Ball, do you remember him having any sort of standout performance in particular that kind of got him the, the, the gloves, the, the, the award, or was it just. Consistent? To be honest, 
To be honest, no, I don't. But I think that's one of those things where it's almost like it, it good keeper just makes all of the basic stops and the basic distribution right, and you don't notice him because he's kind of he's not flapping. Uh, it's not like you know, <clears throat> not a reference of the keepers again here, but like a David James, where at the time you you know he was he was fairly top keeper. But arguably, he had his moments. So, yeah, as you, as you would say, you would know Dave Shaka flip flop as well. <laughs> uh, I know. Just watching that on this day, Liverpool uh, Newcastle four uh, three playback today, and it's kind of like you look at that last goal and you just think, why was why was his stop not coming out to collect that ball and just letting Fowler have it and score? It's one of life's many questions. Which <laughs> when, when I shut my eyes on a night, that's one of the, one of the, the things I ask myself. Um, the, anno- the annoying thing is as well, it's like, you know, obviously he, he definitely had a, you know, despite not noticing any standout performances, he, he definitely had a decent a decent World Cup to, you know, to get that award. But unfortunately, as an, as an England fan, the only thing you can ever really remember is that bloody ball sailing over Seaman's head and going in and just thinking, what were you doing? It's one of those great ironies, isn't it, where obviously in the, in the qualification of that World Cup, England won in 5-1 in Germany and of the two nations, England were expected to do probably better than they did and Germany went in that World Cup with fairly low expectations compared to what they normally have and yet the Germans as usual the tournament gene kicked in made the final and uh, obviously ran into Brazil which was unfortunate for them but you know it just goes to show doesn't it that yeah doesn't matter how good your qualifying is if you can turn it on when the tournament comes around that's all that matters yeah exactly the, the complete anti-England method <laughs> <laughs> stroll every group look like world beaters and then bottle it as soon as the, the competition begins. Um, he's a scary looking man though, Khan, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, yes, he is. <laughs> he looks a bit like a melted Boris Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> Title of this podcast already. It's not called The Lumpy to Me with Andrew Chapman. This is just uh, melted I mean, Boris Johnson. You, you, could, you could add to that, you could add to what Dave said and actually he could just be an extra and die hard, couldn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, there's generalising. There we go. There we go. Um, we'll move on before we get into any more trouble with the with, <laughs> with, with that. <laughs> Who's the first centre back we have then? So this is a this is a this is a really really. Um, I think other people say this is a bizarre one, but I've gone for Steve Bold. Um, I think he's he's one of the best defenders I've actually seen play in real life. Um, in terms of his kind of his position and understanding where the opposition is, because I think. He, Later day in his life, not a lot of pace really. Um, not that he probably ever had a lot of pace to begin with, to be fair. Um, but it just kind of the the kind of composure he has on the pitch. Playing, I think me, me and my dad were uh, season ticket holders at Sunderland. Sorry, Dave. Um, when uh, when when he signed there, um, obviously very briefly. But he, even there at his age, kind of he was like the best defender on the pitch, even at that time, kind of at the at the twilight of his career and. Obviously, he played a part of the, you know, a fair part of the double side that you know, ousted Man U in '97, '98 as well. Um, so, you know, I'm sure he played over 20 games in that season. Um, you know, when you think about competing with, I mean, some of that could have been due with injuries, you know, with Keown and Adams being so injury prone. But then that that, that defence was ancient, really, at that time, wasn't it? Well, having having those three centre backs probably. Quite helpful, wasn't it, towards uh, towards Arsenal getting anywhere? Um, I think it's. it's I always been quite remarkable about centre backs around this kind of time, where like you think of him and uh, Steve Bruce, and, and Bruce never got any England caps, and Ball managed two, yeah. despite them playing for you know two of the two of the best clubs in the country for a lot of the a lot of their careers. We must have had a 
I was going to say was had a really successful national team at that time when it was actually at its probably at its worst, wasn't it? So <laughs> it uh, makes you wonder just why Carlton Palmer was being picked to do anything. Well, I, I was just going to ask that. Who did play for England at centre half in the at that time? Uh, I mean, there was a few. I, mean, I think Pallister was in and around there, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, Tony Adams, of course, when he was when he was allowed to play. Um, Pierce would have had a couple of games across the back, wouldn't he? Yeah, uh, I feel like Des Walker, of course, was yeah. was in there. You'll never beat Des Walker, apparently. So. <laughs> it's strange to say the two players you've mentioned, obviously, are very highly rated. But, as you say, two of the top, well, the two top clubs, especially. Well, I, as well, I think about it now as well. Like Des Walker was a, was a chef Wednesday, I think, at the time. Like, <laughs> can you imagine now, uh, like a, a lower mid-table Premier League club? Centre half being picked over, um, you know, a Chelsea or a Man United defender in the England team, it just wouldn't happen, would it? And then at the tail, tail end of his career, you'll have had Saul Campbell coming through as well. Yeah, that's true. And yet, you know, Colin Cooper got caps. So, <laughs> oh, fascinating! I think it's just he's probably just one of those players where he's the uh, again similar. And I say similar. We'll 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 disregard that comment as soon as I say similar to Khan in the way that we've talked about him before. But almost dependable player. Didn't really make any mistakes, but just wasn't the preferred player ahead of two other also really solid players. I think my my favourite staple memory is him setting up Adams in that um, the, what we we'll call the the Would You Believe It goal um, when they'd already won the double. And I think yeah. Adams and Ball play like a one-two the length of the field. <laughs> <laughs> that, that sums it all up. Football and centre halves. <laughs> <laughs> he must be highly fought at Arsenal still as well. I mean, he he was also assisted to I take it was to Wenger yeah. right throughout his time, and then rather than like leaving the club, they put him in charge of the under twenty threes. So clearly well thought of still, you know, post career as well. It, it, obviously, if this was a bold eleven, he'd still be in there as well. So yeah, <laughs> he's stone cold Steve Ball, isn't he? So. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that's it. We don't need any more. Let's just stop it there. You know, we've had a melted Boris Johnson, we've had a wrestling reference. I, I'm, I'm good, I'm done. The tea and the toast talk, the uh, pod. Uh, what more can you ask for? I can almost smell the BAFTA if that's what podcasts get awarded. Uh, to be honest, Dave, if you think that's a, good, a, a, a fantastic pick, wait till you hear some more of them. Stop teasing then. Who's next centre back? This is this is probably a more normal one, um, but I've gone for North Um You've got to have a German sweeper in there, haven't you? That's got to be the thing if we're talking about you know thinking about probably players from the nineties. Um, you know, I think he's he's obviously he's he's Beckenbauer's heir, isn't he, from a German perspective in that era? Hundred and fifty caps played in five World Cups, which wasn't equal for twenty years after ninety eight when he kind of played his last World Cup. Um, Two hundred and four goals for a player playing, you know, across most of the park from right at the back all the way through, like an attacking midfielder. You know, I think he's a, a cracking player. You know, played played in Germany, played in Italy, proved himself top level for a long time, stayed at the top for the whole time. Uh, you know, an international career playing over twenty years. Can can you, you know, there there can't be many better centre backs than other than Steve Bold, obviously. Than uh, Matthias across like you know that period of time. I mean, he's an incredible, incredible player, isn't he? You just look at the look at the clubs he played for. You know, Bayern Munich and Milan. Um, well, Bayern Munich, two spells at Bayern Munich, and uh, 150 caps for Germany. I mean, you know, we talk about Khan's consistency. 
and then you got what 80, 86 caps, I think it was. Yeah. Um, to get 150 caps for Germany. Um, I think the mad thing is, is his first his first World Cup would have been the nineteen eighty two World Cup. Remarkable, isn't it? Um, <laughs> just reading here that he came out of retirement at the age of uh, at the age of fifty seven to play for the club he started at in twenty eighteen. So. Yeah, I think I think they didn't. We talk. I'm sure we talked about this on the last recording. How it was almost. I would have almost had to remove him from this uh, this list, but thankfully he went he went quietly back into retirement. Just to help <laughs> What one and done? Obviously had an injury crisis like Liverpool's this year. See, we we need Alan Hansen for a game. That's, that's what we're missing. <laughs> Somebody got on the phone. <laughs> um, I think the best thing about Matthias was the was the different role he played. Obviously from from centre midfield to to sweeper, which obviously was his much more prominent role. But just yeah, just again, without being stereotypical to the German, he's just he was just so effective. No, it just did everything so well, just basic, simple. I would agree. I mean, don't get us wrong, it, 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 does it feel painful that we've already named two top quality German players in this side already? Yes, it does a little bit, but I think you've got to, you've got to look at the, like, like those two players, think about the careers they've had, the trophies they've won, you know, the teams they've played in, even at nationally, like two absolutely kind of top quality players. I'm not sure if you recognise the accent, but I'm Scottish, so I love hearing you guys' misery. <laughs> I mean, I, I hear him for another reason. Um, not not nothing to do with nationality, but he was he was the manager of uh, Partizan Belgrade when they, when they knocked us out the Champions League qualifiers in uh, 2003. That's another reason to keep him in then. <laughs> right, you two enough. Who's who's the third member in the back three then? Yeah, uh, so. I think this is again. Dave will probably appreciate this one, given he's a, a member of Dave's uh, Champions League manager side. But I've gone for Paolo Maldini. Um, so I think you know World Cup All Star team at Italia ninety in USA ninety four. Um, another Milan defender with longevity at the top level. Um, you know, similar to Matthias. I think about kind of almost the follow on from Baresi. Really, he's a. I think if if there's ever a player who could be kind of identified as like the complete defender, it would probably be him. Um, and I think to stand out as a defender amongst a group of Italian players of that period of time, blessed with the ability they had all over the pitch, I is 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 pretty much something else. I I I have Maldini possibly down as the argument as the greatest footballer of all time. He does just he just not have, doesn't have a weakness. Um left back, centre back, could play football. Um Beautiful hair, um, <laughs> everything you need. Um, you know, just oh, I, I just I love Maldini, um, and obviously everybody goes for the exciting attacking players when you're talking about you know the the, the greatest of all time. But Maldini certainly has to be up in that conversation. Um, he was obviously on the dog biscuits to have hair like that. <laughs> well, I need some of those biscuits if that's the case. <laughs> no, I, I've got a, a segue from this that kind of. Sells it for me just for how good he was, but uh, and I'm sure I told you this story last time. But obviously, when we were when we were kind of like little kids, we used to like play on this this tiny kind of bit of grass beside where we lived that was available, and that like that's where we played footy, and we uh, fondly named it the shit pit because it was where people went to walk their dogs. Um, and obviously, we'd play World Cups and stuff, and you know you would argue over who would get to be which player and. It's, could you ever imagine kids arguing over who got to be a defender, who who got to be Maldini? You know, it's it's 
it's not common for anyone want to be a defender. Never mind, you know, a player like that. But uh, yeah, obviously, just you know, absolutely wild um, to to think that kids would be arguing over who could who would get to be a defender. Um, I mean, obviously, no nobody wanted to be Oliver Kahn because nobody wanted to play in goal. Because um, <laughs> you have to be daft to be a keeper. Khan didn't get the opportunity to uh, to play on the ship pit um, with Maldini. But uh, obviously, funny story. No one, no one segueing a bit out of out of kind of this eleven. But obviously, no one wants to be a keeper. There was always a kid who would make one goal, and then like one day he rocks up at the ship pit and he's like, "Nah, I, I can't play in goal anymore." And we're like, "Why not?" And he's like, "Oh, me, uh, my parents said I can't play in goal anymore." And it's intriguing. Like, go on then. And he's like, "Oh, because I've, I've started playing. Uh, I've started playing piano, so I, I might damage my fingers playing in goal." <laughs> So from then on, his nickname was Piano Fingers, and we made him playing goal still. Really? But yeah, no one wants to be Kiva. Everyone wants to be Maldini. I mean, you wouldn't mind being Paolo Maldini, would you? Like he's uh, he had he had a a pretty good career, to put it mildly. I thought you were going to copy copy answer and say he had a pretty good head of hair. Well, that's 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 also true. (laughs) <laughs> and like I said last time someone picked Maldini he uh, also was a professional tennis player for one match that's right I keep forgetting that every time you bring it up it amazes me <laughs> well it's like Groundhog Day or probably more realistic with those 51st dates where I'll just keep telling you things and you'll be like oh Dave you're amazing and I'll be like yeah Ali Ali I know I, know. <laughs> I, I genuinely think he, he, he could have played anywhere on the pitch like I yeah, mean, it could have could have been a striker if he wanted to be. Yeah, again, I put it down. There, there is an argument to put down. He is the greatest player of all time. Never mind defender. And uh, a fact that got brought up a, a couple of shows ago um, by Dave when we were talking about Paul. Not our Dave, another Dave. Um, <laughs> like obviously, Maldini, his dad was an incredible centre half as well. And then the legacy he left. Obviously, his, his eldest son then tried to become a centre half. And as good as he was, he was never going to live up to what he'd done. At least the younger son made the sensible choice. I'll be an attacking midfielder. I'm getting as far away from that <laughs> hard left back role as as possible. Nobody is even comparing me to any of them. I mean, but, it would it would be a tough call between him and Steve Bold, I have to say. Yeah, yeah, it's a tough one. I, I'm going to go with Maldini, just purely on the hill. Just purely on the hill. Uh, yeah, but if you're Steve Bold, you can also impersonate Attilio Lombardo as well. <laughs> That's fair, yeah. <laughs> I think somebody needs to come up with a bald 11 at one time for this. Um, but let's get back to some sort of seriousness. Um, <laughs> start with the midfield. So midfield, you, you say back to the seriousness, um, but you've, you've gone to the midfield. So uh, uh, Dave might appreciate this one, but I've gone with Franz Carl. Now, the, the the reason for this is purely down to an overwatched VHS of Kevin Keegan's 10 out of 10, which was the video of his first 10 victories in charge. There's a game against Bristol City, like Franz Cars popped up the wing with the ball on the left wing, and he, he flicks over what, to this day, we still argue whether it was a, a shot or a cross, and it hits the crossbar, hits the back post, and just leaves Keith Welch stranded in the middle of the Bristol goal. Just can't do anything about it, and he's just got his hands on his head, like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> and that video probably still exists somewhere in a loft. Um, I'll have to get it out and watch it again. It's just an absolutely cracking goal. To be fair, he's one of those players where I'm not sure why Keegan got rid of him. He was really uh, versatile. 
I think Keegan was quite good at figuring out when players had been as useless as they could be. And he then he just moved them on. He did it he did it with, you know, like David Kelly and, and people yeah. like that when when once we became a a decent Premier League team. Um so I imagine Franz Carr was in the same boat. Didn't he end up going to like Serie or, or certainly B? He ended up in, in Italy anyway, didn't he? Yeah, I'm sure he did. I'm sure he went to play in Italy. Yeah, Reggiano. That yeah, that's it. Yeah, he's, had, he's, had, a, he's had a mixed career. Um to one to twelve twelve clubs, um, so yeah, he's, he's travelled about. The thing, the thing that stands out for those for that that video, though, other than obviously other than Franz Carr, is that every time somebody scored and it wasn't Gavin Peacock, he had a right silk on his face. <laughs> and, and looking at it, we, we probably should have known it was Reggiano he played for, Dave, because uh, that's where he is in ninety seven ninety eight. Well, I thought it was. I just I couldn't <laughs> think of I couldn't think of which club it was. I knew it was much as Italy, but uh, there you go. Maybe we need a. Franz Car Chronicles. But if, if if anyone listening wants to see that goal, it is on YouTube under the Newcastle United season review for that season. I'm trying to think from memory. I'm sure Franz Car was absolutely rapid. I'm sure that was like his main trait. That he was very very fast. It's it's got to be one of those things for a winger, really, hasn't it? Well, I mean, you would love it. You've made a load of fast car jokes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, there's not much I can add. I, I've I've never even heard of the player. Um, well over my head this one so we'll, we'll move on to your next one because the next three I know and can, can contribute to, to all three well actually just 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 to dwell on him for one more point he was part of Brian Clough's Nottingham Forest side through the 80s who Franz Carr yeah well what a world we live in yeah we I know, but did, 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 like, did he win stuff with them or was it just after that no he played 130 odd games for them between 84 and 91 yeah so yeah I'm just wondering why why he went from there to to us. <laughs> it's quite the fall from grace where we were. <laughs> Obviously, someone else had spotted these times though. No, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I, I am I am going for someone generally well heard of and decent next though. Which one are you going with? I've gone with with Gascoigne. Never heard of him. Uh, he's he's a, a, a wonderful player from Gateshead. I'll have you know. <laughs> he's a fisherman, is he not? Is that not? Is that that was clear? <laughs> Well, he probably spends plenty of time fishing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, obviously, well prepped with his uh, with his carrier bag of chicken and cans. Now, I think you, you can't. I, I couldn't not have him in there. I think as as far as kind of his generation of footballers go, he's got to have been the most skillful English footballer of his generation. Uh, I mean, I think again we had this argument last time about if he'd had the right direction advice, would he have been held in the same regard as a, a Pele, a Maradona, or whatever? Um, it's possible actually if he'd had the right advice and the right kind of attitude, it would have all been shaped out of him, and he'd have become like just another Gareth Barry, like a, a dependably boring player. <laughs> um, you know, would would he have kind of scored that goal against uh, Scotland in Euro '96? Probably not. He probably wouldn't have had the nerve to go for it. That's what I was going to ask you. Like, do you think if he'd been, you know, under let's say Alex Ferguson's wing, and they'd sort of straight him out, do you think he would have lost a lot of his, you know, what made him who he was in terms of his personality and things? And I think Ferguson would have kicked them out after about five days. <laughs> First training session, right? Done. Yeah. Um, yeah it's, it's it, with those type of players, like all those like really talented kind of wild players. They all seem to have like a, a checkered off field. Um, 
even going going far back as best and all those type of players. And I, I suppose you probably want to curb it slightly so that you can probably look after the player a bit better. But I mean, for what we got, um, I seen him. The, the, the most times I seen him live, obviously, is when he came up here to Rangers, and um, and then obviously Euro '96 was completely different. But um, just a just a proper genius on the pitch. Um, my my favourite moment is him getting yellow carded for showing the referee the yellow card <laughs> against Hibs at Rangers. Um, maybe one of my favourite moments as a child <laughs> growing up. Oh, that's, I just think that's that's sad from the ref, isn't it? Really? Yeah, yeah. I remember the Hibs players at the time. I can't. I, I couldn't tell you who played for Hibs at the time, but like literally going over to the referee, like, what are you doing? Like. <laughs> Just, just, just stupid. Like you could clearly see he was having a laugh. You know, he'd went and picked up off the ground, and he literally ran over and kind of like proper threw his arm up. And uh, it was just, it was brilliant to watch it. And I can find a video of it. Um, I'll attach it to the pod when we post it out. But, I can't remember who, who I was arguing about this with, but somebody claimed that what happened was earlier in that attack, like Gaza had fouled someone, and it kind of like played on. And then obviously the record dropped his card, and when Gaza returned the card, he then booked him for the foul he made earlier in the move. But I've never seen like the whole clip to know if that's true or not. So I don't know if it's just you know one of these urban myths or not. Like you know, like the yeah. um, the Higuita uh, scorpion kick, where the, the the offside flag had already gone up, so he did it under absolutely no pressure. But no one ever remembers that. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Um, oh, well, I think of that Gascoigne moment where. You know, I can't, as you say, the only thing you remember is the actual incident itself. I mean, something we can look into now. Well, we're just busting myths. Next week, the moon. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was Gaza as well, was it? No, it was, uh, it was Chris Armstrong rather than Neil Armstrong. Uh, oh, it wasn't Chris Waddle's penalty. <laughs> <laughs> it was passed by, I think, didn't it? <laughs> Oh yeah, I mean, don't get us wrong. I think it's one of those ones where it was kind of been to say. Obviously, I think you know, I don't think you could put him in your team now, really, with what's gone on. But it was obviously between kind of him and and Beardsley, really, as players of that kind of roughly that that crossover generation who just had something else in the locker. Yeah, I mean, all jokes aside, Gaza was just an incredible talent, wasn't he? Um, Newcastle produced some hellish players in that in that that that, that era. Um, God knows how because. <laughs> the club itself was was pretty poor around that kind of time, um, but somehow we formed a couple of rough diamonds who obviously went on to do great things. Gaza probably could and should have done more with his career. I know he he did a, you know more than most, but he never played 100 games for a single club, which I think is it's a bit damning, really, isn't it? Um, the broken leg was a problem, really, wasn't it? Well, it was. Um, and the broken leg he got at Lazio, I think, isn't the story that he got it in like five a side because he was he was trying to get revenge on someone like another player who'd, who'd fouled him, and he just went went lunged into him and broke his leg, um, which of course you know also scuppered England a little bit on their way to not qualifying to World Cup '94. So, well, that's two out of four. Um, can we leave? Can we leave the one to last? Um, go go for the good one next. The good one. Are you, are you are you talking about the one? We don't, talk about? don't say it. Go for the good <laughs> one next. Go for the good or, one next. Fair enough then. Is a is a contrast here. <laughs> I've, I've I've gone with Roy Keane. Uh, I think as a player, you know, even you know, across the clubs, he's the two you know the two main clubs you remember him playing for. He's an absolute engine. 
And I think where he's kind of where where he's kind of left down somewhat in the way people remember him is actually a really skillful player. Uh, read the game really well, kind of uh, not not just the sort of player who would drive the other players around him and kind of almost you know seen as the player who would you know win the tackle and give it to someone. But he was actually a really really good player. I think uh, the disappointing thing is probably to, for him to have walked out on that island squad in the 2002 World Cup, just thinking. Could they have gone further with, you know, if he'd been playing? I mean, they gave Spain a really good run for the money in that game when they kind of when they went out. And you just think, well, would it have been a different story with with someone like Keane and his ability and everything else that came with him playing in that side in that game? Would it have been different? He's just such an he's an, he's a really interesting character. I think, you know, in in retrospect, he's almost the type of player someone like Gaza could have become. You know, he's he's combustible character, but. He had the control of himself away from football. I'm not saying he had the same kind of, you know, almost the, the tricks in his back pocket as guys are absolutely not, but he was definitely a, he's more he skillful than he's given credit he was, for. He was a match winner in a different way, though, wasn't he? He was, uh, he was a natural leader. Although, you know, let's be honest, a total arsehole. But, um, <laughs> Every side needs one. Well, perhaps, yeah. I mean, you make a point about Ireland there. Uh, I'm a bit on the fence with this one because I think... Him walking out kind of brought that team together. I mean, they were, they were, it's, it's the Irish. They're always, you know, under no illusions that they're not going to win the whole, the whole thing. But they know that, you know, if they can make a team greater than some of their parts, that's kind of always been their, their MO. But um, I feel him walking out kind of pushed that squad together and yeah. probably probably made them more of a unit than they were beforehand. But again, you kind of have to rewind that whole thing with Keane and McCarthy. For, it wasn't just a one-off. I think it had been bubbling under the surface for a little while. So um, I guess we'll, we'll never know how, how they might have done otherwise. But oh, I, read, um, I, read, I read something recently. I can't remember where I read it now about him. But, but saying how he'd... Uh, it was something about like being on the drink or something when they'd been on a, on a tour or something and he just completely went in on the coffee. Well, I mean, it couldn't have been any more different to how it was at Man United, I think. Like, when you think they were winning everything at the, t- well, a couple of years before that in particular, they were probably at their peak. Um, and then you go away with Ireland for a, cu- for a couple of weeks and it's just the total opposite by all accounts. Um, but as I say, like, that's, that's, uh, at that time, that's what Irish football was, was built on. Like, this, this team spirit and just, you know, the Jack Charlton put them under pressure was, all right, it wasn't pretty, but it, it was effective. Um, and I think, that team was a little bit better than that, but um, because they had both Keynes and Ian Hart and um, I don't Given. know Damien, Damien Duff and Shea Given, you know, it wasn't it wasn't a terrible team by any means, but uh, <laughs> I think if you put Roy Keane in the middle of that park instead of probably was it Matt Holland or I, I don't know yeah. who he yeah. would have stepped in for, but obviously it would have made them better as a as individuals, but I don't know about the team itself. I like how you couldn't bring yourself to mention Niall Quinn there, Dave. Well, I mean, he wasn't really. <laughs> He wasn't really like, different from the the original island team, was he? Like he, no. <laughs> he was just you know, Cascarino was regen essentially in terms of how they played. Um, what are your thoughts on Roy Keane as a manager? I mean, you, you seem to have followed Northeast. I know you're a Gateshead fan, but you've already said you had a season ticket with Sunderland in the late nineties. Um, what was the opinion on him as a, as a manager, particularly of Sunderland? To be honest. You would look at it and go, he's a typical championship manager. Manager, He had the most players he could possibly cram into a squad. Now, whether or not that was his doing or not, who knows? But, you know, I mean, there seemed to just be a revolving door of transfers constantly. And you just think, was it just that 
could buy whoever he wanted or whoever he needed to buy. So it was almost just like buy this player, find out he's crap, get rid of him, buy somebody else. Um, I mean, I think he's he's probably one of those where did he did he kind of find the right club for him? I think a lot of managers, when you look at them, they just they don't choose carefully and don't choose the right club. I think Sunderland was probably a good match for him at the time at that point in his career, but what was Ipswich the right choice? <laughs> You well, know, it, was, well, it clearly wasn't, you know what I mean? Yeah. But that's easy to say now. But um, I, mean, I mean, obviously, I, I don't like what he did, but you have to say that he took Sunderland from, they were pretty much bottom of the championship, or near enough bottom, um, to promotion in the same season, um, which is no main feat. And I know, as you say, he had a lot of players to, to take him there, but um, you know, it's one thing having the players, it's another thing making them a team, and he did a good job of it. I think it's 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 a hard one to say, isn't it? Because there's a lot of there's plenty of managers that just you know they don't do the coaching, they do the man management, you know, they do all of the the rest of it. But actually, the tactical piece and the coaching is down to their coaches. Question, Dave: Would you take him over Steve Bruce right now? God, <laughs> I mean, right now, yes, because I think, and I've said this many times on the on our Sunday pod that I think any. Any change of face now will do good because I think everyone's just pig sick of Steve Bruce. But the thing is, would he would he swap one former Sunderland manager for another? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I mean, he'd be so far down my list of choices for the permanent replacement. But I think right now, I think oh, uh, anyone could come in and do a better job than what Bruce is doing. Um, and I just think any sort of fresh ideas would would be good. And I think as well, whether you love Keane or hate Keane, I think you'd definitely respect him, wouldn't you, if he came in the dressing room? And if he didn't, you'd have a problem. Well, he didn't, you, you wouldn't play. <laughs> I always loved the Robbie Savage story when he was at, when, when he was looking to sign him for Sunderland and he rang him. And of course, Sa- Savage, Savage's voicemail was the old Budweiser. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and Keane was just like, fuck. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> that was probably the right call, though, when you think about it. Well, Savage is just, just, I mean, I mean, he's just one of those players, isn't he? Where he, he, if you've got him, you probably quite like him, but if you haven't got him, he's just useless. <laughs> like, he has zero actual ability, but just very good at spoiling the player. He's like, you know, he's, he's almost like the, he was the 90s Jimmy Bullock, wasn't he? I guess he was, yes. <laughs> Never heard Dave lost for words so many times. <laughs> <laughs> but back back to Keane. I mean, the biggest thing I'm glad you mentioned is like that people do seem to forget is how good a player he actually was. He, and the game, the game that's always called out is that Juventus game, isn't it? Yeah, it's the yeah. it's the best midfield performance I've ever seen, I've ever watched. It's ridiculous. Like he he suspended, he drags the team against a top top Juventus time. You know, at a time where Italian teams were, you know, phenomenal, and yet he dragged Man United to that Champions League final, even though knowing he couldn't play in the final, just incredible. And sometimes even that game, I think it gets overlooked. People, people talk about that, uh, you know, the 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 Beckham England game against Greece, but you think, come on, we're playing Greece, whereas this is like a a player who, as you say, who knows he's not going to play, and then you know he knows he's going to be suspended, and he's just kind of carrying the game. Against you know uh, probably a, you would argue a Juventus team that probably should have won. Yeah, fair, and I, I mean me and Dave are completely different on that Beckham Greece game, but I always I actually don't think Beckham was that great in that game um, till the last five minutes where he his free kick like won it. But um, that that keen performance again, as I say, I, and I'm a Liverpool fan, that is the single greatest performance I've seen by a centre midfielder. Um, 
and, and certainly in my lifetime anyway. Um, I'm sure there's others who could probably highlight games, but in such a in such a game as well, you know, it's not just a a standard league game or anything. It's a Champions League semi final, second leg. Um, just ridiculous. I think it's definitely a kind of thing of a better midfield performance if you put aside Carlton Palmer's England appearances. Um, <laughs> and especially as you say, no one finally really wasn't going to be able to play in the final because of his um, yellow card accumulation. I think the, the mentality to just say, well, you know, let's get there for the team. It's, uh, it takes some doing, I think. I think you'll be, you'll be pleased to know that, that my next pick is actually a step up from Roy Keane. Almost probably the player who Roy Keane modelled himself on. I'm getting ready to mute out for, for the five <laughs> minutes you guys discuss this player. So, yeah, <laughs> who, who's last, Andrew? <laughs> so, he wasn't last pick, he was third pick, but we've missed him out. Uh, it was the, the one and only <coughs> Alex Ray. <clears throat> <sighs> it's okay, Dave, I'm editing this one, so we'll edit out <laughs> if you any player you like, and we'll edit in. I'll, I'll add it in, okay? To be fair, there are some there are some reasons here. So I think again, similar to Bold, right? He's an mm. all round player, overlooked, probably thought about more for his kind of tenacity and his determination than actually his technical ability as a player. Um, obviously, I think at, at Sunderland he was Kevin Bowles heir. Um, I'm not sure what that means, or you know what I mean, but I think that's probably where his position was. But he, he never got capped for Scotland despite playing in the Premier League and playing really well. Um, he was. I mean, another positive for me that tells us he's a good player is that when he was at Rangers as a young lad, he was rejected by Sunus. So obviously he's a cracking player. <laughs> um, you know that's got to mean something. And I think again that we can debate this one till the cows come home. But he was Mill. He's he's in Millwall's top ten goal scorers ever, and he was only a midfielder and only played for them for six years. So as we said last last time, I don't know what that says about Millwall's ability to score goals or Alex Ray's ability as a player. And the fact that it was probably in the, you know, second and third tier of English football. Um, but I just think he's, he's, he's a player who's underrated and probably more thought about, particularly from his time at Sunderland, for kind of being a, a tough tackling, determined midfielder. Um, but, you know, to, as a midfielder for any club to be in the top 10 goal scorers of all time, particularly after such a short period of time, it's got to be pretty good. I mean, I'm just going to ask the questions on everybody's lips, Andrew, but do you have a bald fetish? <laughs> Subconsciously, it would suggest I do, doesn't it? I mean, I'm looking at his Wikipedia here, and he, he doesn't look that unlike Steve Bold, to be quite honest with you. Maybe this was, maybe this was the plan in the, uh, in, the, in the late 90s of Peter Reid to, to make us all bald team. <laughs> oh. uh, yeah, but I mean, uh, but, I think Ali, he played, he, played a, he played a couple of seasons for Rangers, didn't he? Well, I'm still just looking at that to, to go from Wolves, who I think obviously got promoted, I think around that time, back up to Rangers. That's you know, not normally the the route, is it? I guess to go to go back up to Rangers, who were probably playing Champions League football around that time, I would think. Yeah, I think they would have been. But I think the most important thing you can take from this, when whilst Andrew's trying to claim that Alex Ray was actually a footballer, was <laughs> he was playing the Premier League, and he has no caps for you know that extremely highly successful Scotland international team. Um, yeah, nine, just, nine, nine under twenty-one caps and three goals. Yeah, someone's, I think that, someone's marked his card. Yeah, I think that says a lot about the player more than the country here, because um, I think we can all agree that Scotland are crap. So, again, take take from that what you will. Uh, I mean, I saw it written on his tombstone when he dies. It was here lies Alex Ray, 
he was no David Hopkin. <laughs> I mean, it, it, to be fair, from a, from a serious note, I think it, I'm reading here suggesting that actually during that peak of his career, he was uh, troubled with alcoholism, so that might have been a reason for him, you know, that people probably do look at the psychological side of things and the whole kind of piece about taking players away to tournaments and stuff like that, although, you know... Well, I mean... Probably should have switched his allegiance to Irish, really, shouldn't he? And then he would have, would have, would have had a, would have had a, would have had a wonderful time with uh, with Roy's drinking club. Roy's drinking club, yeah. No, I think it was just it was just one of those where it kind of popped in my head as a player who probably, you know, in in that side as well for uh, over a period of time probably gets overlooked for other midfielders that were in there. Like I don't know, even though for a short period of time, say Don Hutchison or someone like that, it just you know he's probably a I would probably argue a better player. Yeah, well, I suppose you also have to say a fair play to him because, again, reading what you're reading, he obviously took the uh, the help that was on, on, on at hand for his alcoholism and came back a better player by all accounts. Seems to fit back in that Sunderland team, got promoted, finished seventh a couple of times. So, fair play. He's he's doing well now as well, I believe, because he, he's constantly on TV, um, especially now that obviously Rangers are back winning games again. Um, He's, he's all over the TV. Him and Chris Lloyd seem to have taken over every sports channel when, when Scottish football's on. So, yeah, it's good to see him come through the other end um, as much as I, as I don't make anybody at risk for that lot. I'm saying he's uh, had a go at management, but uh, doesn't seem to be in that game anymore. So maybe he's, maybe he's now a full-time pundit. Indeed, you'll be pleased to know there are no more Sunderland players. Oh, that's good. That's good. Um, I'm guessing you no longer... Follow Sunderland particularly, do you? Or was it, was it just? Oh, I still, I still, uh, I, st- I still follow. Uh, I think it's just one of those things where I think it's, uh, it's different for me. Is almost kind of like my, my, um, my brothers are Newcastle fans. Um, when when my dad and his brothers were kind of aged, where they grew up, like sort of where they grew up, they they would go to see Newcastle one weekend and Sunderland the next weekend, um, like. You know, whilst I might have, you know, had a Sunderland season ticket, I like the word would still would go to see Newcastle. I remember going to see uh, Newcastle Man United in the League Cup when Gillespie was at Man United and stuff like that. So more of a kind of a, a mixed household, and then just for good measure, my mother's a Chelsea fan. So um, grew, grew up in London, so not just for you know <laughs> any old reason. Um, so yeah, we've got kind of. It's not as contentious in my household as it might be in others. No, I mean I, I kind of miss those days a little bit. Like I my granddad was a he was a Newcastle fan, but he always said he, he liked the other Northeast teams to do well, which is just not something you'd ever get now. Um, yeah. Whereas, as you say, going back even you know even the probably the early nineties as well, like there, there wasn't as much hatred as there is in the world now. Um, and, and whether that's because of social media and like that sort of thing, I, I don't know. But certainly, yeah, I, I blame the internet and podcasts. Absolutely. <laughs> Says me, who's insulted the bald, the alcoholics, the Irish. <laughs> oh, you got any more on, Mr. Ray? No, that's it. Should we, should we move on to uh, forwards? Forwards it is. So, first pick, uh, I think this is the debatable one, whether I've, whether I've changed a, almost an attacking midfielder or a winger into a forward here, just to squeeze them in, but I've gone for Zola. Um, obviously, from what I've just talked about, we, we watched a, a lot of Chelsea growing up. Um, with me man being a Chelsea fan um, and obviously it was bang in line with kind of peak soccer AM and Lovejoy being a Chelsea fan and obviously that made them more noticeable because he would just bang on about them every week um, but obviously I think the team of 
Viali's was kind of it was an entertaining team to watch, um, and obviously he, you know they, they were almost kind of like the the lovable underdogs in in kind of the in terms of the you know the reasonably top Premier League teams at the time. Um, I the, the the pinnacle for me is almost that back heel goal against Norwich in the two thousand and two FA Cup. I mean, if you know, back heel goals get loaded all the time. There was the Canu back heel goal and stuff. I think that that's the peak back heel goal for me. Yeah, he's a player who's just not been picked enough. Um, like purely on the basis, obviously, it's about favourite players, and I mean, he's always a great player, but it's obviously not always about the best. As I, as I always say, and it's always just such a, a great player to watch. Um, almost like that that little underdog being so small, and especially when he came over to England. Um, I mean, he broke. Well, he changed the football for Chelsea completely. You know, he, his goal really that brought Abramovich in. Uh, we just discussed this on another podcast, which I did realise. So, Abramovich was lining up um, whoever got into the Champions League, basically, between Liverpool and Chelsea that year. And I think it was 2 0 Chelsea won on the last day of the season. Um, and Zola toyed with Carragher in that game. Absolutely embarrassed him. Um, and that's, that's like the one. Lasting memory I have of him, purely on that. Um, and in the Europe, I think was it the Cup Winners' Cup? Yeah. Chelsea did really well in at the time. They had like the, the grey and yellow kit. Um, yeah, I'm sure they won. They didn't. They win the League Cup, the Cup Winners' Cup, and the Super Cup or something like that. All in all in one season. When you think like in reality, they did. You know, they did well. They won a couple of trophies. Yet the managers still seem to get the sack. <laughs> there seems to be a running theme. For Chelsea, <laughs> right up until 2020. I think uh, what really sets it all apart is you think the amount of players who've come from Serie A who've been brilliant. You know, you look at Shevchenko and Crespo and probably numerous others who came to England now that didn't hack it or took a, took quite a while to get it up to the pace of the game and things. Veron is a great example, but yeah. Zola came and uh, hit the ground running despite you know as as Ali says being fairly small for for. An attacking player, um, especially in that era of English football, where you know size was was an awful lot of the game. And I think there's a group there's a group of players that he gets overlooked from as well as when you think he's almost in that the Baggio Del Piero kind of group of players where people probably don't think about Zola first. You would think about those players, um, you know, who he's kind of come up playing alongside. Um, but I, as you say, he's almost he was the start of he was probably the start of that kind of revolution at Chelsea for that period of time. And as you say, to- totally adapted to the Premier League. There was no kind of as you say, like you say, no challenge for him to adapt and just skip past people and skin them and avoid the physical physicality of the, of the Premier League at that time. It's remarkable. I think he didn't get picked for the '98 World Cup. I mean, I know obviously they have a lot of a lot of options up there, but when you think of how good Zola had been that season for Chelsea, sometimes you look at it though, and is it the is it the players playing outside of their home country do get overlooked? And it was the Premier League rated that highly at that time as a as a top league. Because I'm sure as it, when Mancini said made some joke about retired players going there, didn't he? Because he went to play a couple of games for Leicester. <laughs> yes, he did. I forgot about that. <laughs> Zola was quite not old, but he he was aging on a bit when he came over to Chelsea as well, wasn't he? Was he not? He was um, he was thirty. Yeah, so I mean that's. Which, I mean, again, you'd never get that now either, would you? Wouldn't have a player coming over at that age. I wouldn't have thought. 
not the one of the top team anyway. No, no, not the one of the top clubs anyway. But yeah, he was there. Yeah, he stayed there for seven for pretty much seven years. Yeah, and then still played on until 2005. So it must have been 39 when he when he packed in. That's not a bad not a bad career, is it? Yeah, looked after him so well. Well, especially for a player that kind of, you know, the the speed and the agility and the the skill to still be able to do it at that age. I mean, look at us here. He got thirty-five at league caps. Thirty-five. That's almost criminal, isn't it? Really, yeah. when you think about it. I know there was good players ahead of him, and but he just won again. I suppose and international was just. Very strange how they pick, and once they, a lot of teams like Italy seem to once they get a set squad, it, it almost takes an injury or or something else, something out of somebody's control for it to change. You know, not a lot of changes were made, whereas obviously England's change like on a whim. <laughs> just these quality player. I just think if, you, if you've got kind of you know memories of watching the Premier League, surely Zola's in there in them. You know what I mean? No, 100%. As I say, I, I don't think he's picked enough. Um, he's just... Yeah, he's, he's almost like a little magician. You know, he's just... He was so fun to watch. And I, I feel he was the first of that type of player to come across. I mean, I could be wrong. I could be missing somebody completely. But just one of those players who made football look fun and enjoyable. Are you saying you could be missing Dennis Bergkamp? <laughs> Yeah, true. <laughs> I, was just I feel like Zola was there before that, if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, well, funny enough, Burkham's another example of someone who came over from Italy and was he was, was panned when he first arrived. He was. Uh, I remember there was a headline about the, you know what a waste of money. It was, was yeah. six, seven, seven and a half million or something, and I think a lot of the press thought Arsenal bought a dud. Whereas I say with, with Zola, it was none of that. He just came in and was was great on the off, really much. So the the next the next ones, uh, do you want the outrageous one or do you want the the normal one? I think we'll go with the normal one. Let's leave the outrageous to to the end of eleven. Yeah, makes perfect sense. So I think I think this. I don't know how many times people people have picked this one, but I went for uh, Romario. Um, personally, for me, as much as I have glimpses of the previous World Cup, USA '94 was probably the first World Cup I have a, a full memory of, and I think obviously it wasn't. It was an easy World Cup to watch as an England fan, having nothing riding on it, no stress <laughs> of watching it, just being able to relax and watch, you know, watch some great penalties from Diana Ross and uh, you know all the rest of it. I, you know, for, for me, he was, you know, if not one of the best players, if not the best player at that tournament, I'm sure one of definitely one of the most talked about. I think as much as Stoichkov might have been like the the top scorer, um, you know, it was kind of. It was the Brazil side who everyone wanted to watch. You know, what I mean, they were the games that, personally for me anyway, that you would have looked out for. Um, I mean, it, it, the thing that's mental for me about it as well is he was probably past his peak at that World Cup as well. He probably was. Um, I think we had Romario on. I can't remember who it was. We picked him a few episodes ago, and I was. I said, you know, he is forgotten about, but he was, his finishing was so clinical. Um, really underrated how. Uh, his goal scoring record at PSV in Barcelona is ridiculous. I think it is. it's almost it's almost nearly a goal a game. And yeah. like the fact that he continued that from PSV to Barcelona shows you it wasn't just that he was playing in the Eredivisie. You know what I mean? It was it, he was a bloody good finisher. 
Um, and I think even even beyond then, you look at it, it's like similar to Zola keeping on playing. It's like he still had a cracking record right through to the end of his career. When you think, you know, like you'd argue, you know, that's back back in South America, but it, well, even, you know, point proven. Even, even for the Brazil national team, fifty-five and seventy. <laughs> it's uh, it's a pretty outstanding record, isn't it? He'd, he'd be disappointed he only played seventy games. Otherwise, just imagine how many goals he could have. Well. Although yeah, he did have a bit of competition. He did. <laughs> it's the team we always talk about, though, Dave, isn't it? It's the one we always bring up, you know, just that, that 90s Brazil team. Um, there's just nothing nothing like it anymore, uh, as you say, Andrew, as well. Like, that's the that's the team that everybody looked out for, you know, in all those tournaments. And any time a team was on TV, there was a reason, you know, England started hosting Brazil in friendlies. Um, over here, um, whether it be England hosting, like England playing in them, but Brazil always seemed to start playing friendlies over in England, purely to let people like us go and watch them and enjoy that type of football. And, and there's a reason why the Ronaldo, Carlos, Cafu, and and Romario started keeping it more and more now. Um, they'll always make these type of type elevens of because just that Brazil team was a collective. Just made everybody love football. Um, more if you didn't love your, you know, obviously you loved your team you supported, and that's where it was. But just for sheer enjoyment, the the nineties Brazil team was, was something else. And I guess like we always mentioned, Dave. I guess like our sons and grandsons are talk about their a team in their era, but and we'll always just go back to this nineties Brazil team. I feel in in forty years time, if we're still talking in a pub. You know, that thing that sells alcohol that we used to see. <laughs> um, but we'll still be discussing, you know, the Ronaldos, the Babettos, the Romarios, the Carlos. You know, that Brazil team is just special to us because probably our, our best, our favourite World Cups um, was 1994. I'm guessing it was probably the first World Cup you really took notice of. And then 98, I feel, was was my favourite one anyway, uh, of all the ones I've watched. So. I mean, just look at how, how, many, how many sides go on to be in, in, in the final of three consecutive World Cups. With the core of that squad being together. No, that's, that's a fair point. It's just silly. But yeah, I think you, you look, looking at his goal scoring record, looking at the fact that it was, you know, part of, part of that squad, he's just a player who stands out in my memory, to be perfectly honest. But yeah, it just so happens that his record stands up behind that. <laughs> well, speaking of silly. <laughs> I wouldn't call this one silly. I actually just think it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a left field pick, but I think people should appreciate it. And I will say, this one was a toss up between this person and Duncan Ferguson. I had hummed and hard over putting Duncan Ferguson in just for the story of him sitting silently in the dark to catch two burglars and imagine the look on the face when they turn the lights on and they're like, crap, I've broken into Duncan Ferguson's house. <laughs> but uh, unfortunately, I just I didn't, it wasn't enough for him to make the cut. Um, so instead, I went with Peter Unlow. Um, so I, I think my best mate had a, had a sticker from the 1994 Merlin Premier League sticker book on his wardrobe of Peter Unlow. We laughed, don't know why, couldn't pronounce his name away, and I, it was a bit like Kevin Phillips trying to pronounce an Icelandic player's name. Um, but I think, you know, when you look at him, he, he had some, you kind of the early images of the Premier League era, you kind of, he's one of those players you would go to and think of, kind of, the uh, yeah, dashes of absolute amazing skill, you know, watching him on telly in that period. Um, 
obviously part of that Bobby Gold Coventry side that really should have finished higher than 15th in the league. I think it was 15th to finish, but, you know, points in the season they were at the top end of that table. And I think he's just one of those players where you would look and think, could he have done more in a better side? And obviously you remember that brilliant Coventry kit as well from the same period. Well, that's that's a fair point. I think he's... uh... He's one of those players, a bit of a, a cult figure, isn't he? Like he, um, yeah. If you think about the Premier League of the 90s, he's kind of like everything that was good about it and that it was, you know, no one knew anything about him. He came over, he, he had a trick, he had a load of pace and he was he was quite fun to watch. And also Ray Stubbs sang about him on uh, on, on um, Fantasy Football, which you've probably seen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, these, these are all massive plus points as far as I'm concerned. And then obviously, you know, it was the person who actually brought him there uh, Brought him to Coventry was uh, was Terry Butcher, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think he's just one of those players of that era. It's, it's it for me. It's almost you know you think of it, you'd think a club like that, a new manager would come in, that you'd think you'd look and go, would they tear that Coventry side apart and rebuild it? And you know you think Ron Atkinson went in, Gordon Strachan went in, they didn't get rid of him, they kept him. You know what I mean? Which obviously showed that you know he wasn't just a a player, that, a run-of-the-mill player that they could just dispense with. You know, he outlasted Mickey Quinn. How dare he? <laughs> <laughs> He's just a player I know nothing about. I, my my knowledge of um, is his name, as you say. You couldn't pronounce it when you were a kid. You had no idea. Um, and just collecting the sticker book. That is literally my <laughs> my, my wealth of knowledge from Peter and Love. I just think crack and I mean, obviously, I mean, it, 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 the bad side is I think there's a there's a rumour an an unconfirmed rumour that he has at least a hundred children in Birmingham, but uh you know, that's that's the other side of the story. Allegedly. Allegedly. Just yes. just, just just before this, we're taken off air again. <laughs> <laughs> this whole show is bordering on edge, so it's alright. Um, we'll, well see what the boss says once it's like... from his Wikipedia, he um he it says his surname is commonly mispronounced by British commentators, and as a result, fans as well. Throughout his career, he was referred to as Undlove, when in fact, the pronunciation of his surname is closer to Undlovu. Do you know what it is? That's ridiculous. That means that me and me, 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 me mate when we were eight or nine were actually pronouncing his name correctly. Yeah, it seemed. <laughs> <laughs> it seemed like an odd thing, though, that someone would go, well, I know it looks like that, but it's actually this. But to say that without any sort of evidence only to be wrong, like... Seems a bit odd, doesn't it? But who are we to argue with Wikipedia? Exactly, this this the fountain of all knowledge. Well, I didn't realise you played for Sheffield United, one hundred and thirty-five times. So there you go. I've learned a lot about Peter and Love tonight. You could probably do him just now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, he's just been acquitted of murder. So I mean, that's oh. good. <laughs> that was a fair few years ago. Uh, actually, you're right. It was. I thought it was more recent than 2012, but. Oh. <laughs> I thought we were getting a bit of excitement there. So that's another unconfirmed rumour that we'll um, start <laughs> Well, again, it's on Wikipedia. It's got a source, unlike a lot of things on Wikipedia. Um, so, yeah, hopefully everything's all right in the house of Undlove. So, yeah, I, th- I think that would make a crack in 11. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll briefly run through it for anyone um, still listening. We have Oliver Canning Goal. Steve Bold, Lothar Matthias and Paulo Maldini at the back. It's a formidable back three, to be fair. Um, we have a midfield combination, however you like, of Paul Gascoigne, Alex Ray, Roy Keane and Franz Carr. 
with Gianfranco Zola, Romario and Peter and Love up front. Who is your captain, Andrew? Ooh, how how could you how could you go past Maldini? Yeah. I mean he's... there'd be there'd be some there'd be some arguments in that team for the captain's armband, wouldn't there? I mean, Roy Keane would probably chin everyone until he got it. Like. <laughs> I, I, have a, I have a sneaking suspicion that Maldini could probably chain Roy Keane, though. Well, if nothing else, he'd just drop shot him, wouldn't he? And beat him, <laughs> beat, beat, beat him with tennis. I don't, I, don't think, I don't think any of the forwards would be after the captain's armband. Well, we've seen Zola as a manager, and that wasn't great. So. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll move past that one. Let's not tarnish his reputation. I think, I think Romario's in politics now, isn't he? I'm sure he is, you know. Um, Quick Google search. Fourteen definitely isn't. Well, he's in his own game of politics. <laughs> anyway, Correct. Andrew, um, is there anything you'd like to promote at the moment? Anything you've got out? And anyway, let everybody know where they can find you. Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at King of the Rooks. Um, if there's one thing to look out for right now, it would be uh, myself and Dave have, have started a. A, a new kind of um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Venture. Venture. Um, called on Twitter. Well, you can find us on Twitter at Champman Fans um, or at www.champmanfans.co.uk. Um, effectively, just looking over the you know the, the series from from beginning to end. But at the minute, we are giving away a one of a kind football shirt. Um, so check that out on Twitter and, and get involved in. You could win that shirt. And Dave, for yourself? Uh, yeah, so the Twitter is at CM9798 and, and the website is cm9798.co.uk as well as what Andrew's just plugged. We're representing chat manager in, in every sense at the minute, so just have a look at that when you get the chance. Yeah, highly encouraged following both guys as well. Um, you can find us at Man in the Post on all your social media platforms. Give us a five-star rating and review if you're on Apple and any other platform feed that you get your podcast from. Whatever you can, just um, give us any ratings and reviews. Help us get more views around the world. Um, the Thursday guys will be back every Friday morning with the, basically the Premier League preview and trips around the leagues around the world. Uh, myself, Dave and Simon will be with you every Monday slash Tuesday, depending on Premier League games. Reviewing all the games from the weekend. Um, very sombre note in recent weeks with the results not going our way. Um, and as you're listening to this one, all future and uh, eleven piece of me will be out on a on a Thursday morning. So listen to all the archive ones. Keep listening to the new ones. If you'd like to come on the show, just give me a message. Put your team together and we can get it set up. Um, but thank you very much, you two, for joining me. Uh, thanks very much. Thank you both. And always remember to keep your man in the post.